Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This edition of How to Be a CEO is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June 2024. Good luck. ES Audio. While other social media platforms may have attracted all the headlines and controversy, one has pretty quietly risen to be one of the most serious players out there. I joined LinkedIn 11 and a half years ago, and we had 90 million members and 800 employees. And fast forward to today, and we are 850 million members and just over 19,000 employees around the world. That's Josh Graff, LinkedIn's London-based MD for Europe, the Middle East and Africa and Latin America. Let's put that member number in context. Twitter, for all the people that shout about it and fight over it, has around 350 million members. LinkedIn is by far the bigger site. Millions are using it to promote their business, promote themselves, make connections, find jobs, get advice. Look at it and you can see how LinkedIn is a portal to how industries and the people within them are working, thinking and living. So what do you do with all that influence? I like to think of LinkedIn as a platform of possibility. And what I mean by that is we are acutely aware that talent is evenly distributed, but opportunity is not. And LinkedIn can therefore act as a great equaliser. I'm David Marsden from The Evening Standard, and this is a fascinating chat, full of insights from how popular remote working is among businesses and their staff, yes, there is a difference, to where pushes for diversity are working, and not. Also, should companies post the salaries for job vacancies? But when we meet Josh, the first thing I want to know, because it's the first thing you want to know, is how do you create the perfect LinkedIn profile? For the perfect LinkedIn profile, there are some brilliant basics that one needs to get right. So first and foremost, have a profile picture. You get 21 times more views with a profile picture than without. Uh, Secondly, turn on creator mode. Creator mode helps you build your audience, access our newest features, gives you content analytics so that you can see those in real time on your profile. Make sure that you're connecting with relevant audiences, you're following industry leaders, participating in groups, following hashtags. Subscribe to the LinkedIn News Daily Rundown. That goes out to 200 million members around the world and hopefully should give you some rich insights as to what's happening in your network, within your industry, within your sector. And importantly, block out some regular time to both read what's going on within your network, but also to contribute to it. And LinkedIn is very much a community where your role is to hopefully ask thoughtful questions, to contribute your perspective on a specific topic, 
but also to listen to what's going on around you. Ultimately, people come to LinkedIn to navigate their careers and their professional lives. And people are there to support one another and to help one another in good times and bad. And so it's a helpful framing, I believe, when you're posting on LinkedIn to think about what is going to add value to the community around me. Yeah, I mean, there are all kinds of different ways that you can use LinkedIn. Do you find that people are using it mostly to promote their business or themselves, Josh? I think increasingly the two are one and the same. I think particularly if you're a business leader, the perception sometimes could be that you're promoting yourself, but the reality is you're also helping to promote your employer brand so people want to come and work for you or for the business you are engaging with your clients with your prospects with media with policy makers so the two are very much interchangeable and increasingly companies around the world are recognizing that their employees are a great way to advertise the benefits of working for that company or buying products and services from that company as well. How long have you yourself been working for LinkedIn? Before before you became MD, you, you, you were there uh, before that. So how long have you been there? I joined LinkedIn 11 and a half years ago, and we had 90 million members and 800 employees. And fast forward to today, and we are 850 million members and just over 19,000 employees around the world. So that's a lot of growth for LinkedIn, isn't it? But how much change has there been? When you started on day one, walking into LinkedIn for the first time, to day one as, as MD to today, what's changed? What have been the big progresses that have been made? It's interesting. There's been a lot of change, and fortunately, there's been a load of consistency as well on the stuff that hasn't changed. And this is one of the beauties of LinkedIn. One of the reasons I love working here is that true north remains constant. The notion of having absolute clarity of mission and vision. What do you aspire to do? And that's to help make the workforce more productive, more successful, to create economic opportunity for people around the world. And the culture and values have remained relatively constant. They've been refreshed. But I love the fact that team and talent continues to be our number one priority from a business perspective. So that's what hasn't changed. What has changed is the platform. We went from a fantastic digital Rolodex back in 2011 to the largest distributor of professional content on the web, a place where people come to navigate their careers, their professional lives, 850 million members. We help six people a minute find a job around the world. And it's become a platform of, I like to think of LinkedIn as a platform of possibility. And what I mean by that is we are acutely aware that talent is evenly distributed, but opportunity is not. And LinkedIn can therefore act as a great equalizer. So no matter your background, socioeconomic background, ethnicity, race, gender, sexuality, you should be able to access opportunity through the platform and through your network. That's interesting because obviously if you go to your profile on LinkedIn, pretty much the first thing you see are the colors of the rainbow pride flag (laughs) when you go on there. How is, as a member of the LGBT community, how is LinkedIn working with people to increase diversity within business, I guess, is probably the big question. Sure. Um, There are a broad variety of ways. Firstly, 
we have trained our algorithms over the years to eliminate bias. And what I mean by that is in a tech industry where traditionally a lot of uh, engineers are men versus women, uh, it is therefore possible for algorithms to have implicit unconscious bias built into them. And we've trained our algorithms to eliminate bias so that we are, when we surface jobs, because a key part of what we do is helping match the right person with the right role. And what we've therefore done is train the algorithm so that we're surfacing equal numbers of men and women based on how many people are represented in that industry. At the same time, we have incredible gender analytics around the world that we are working with the likes of the World Economic Forum on to ensure that we are spotlighting the lack of equity. So that's when it comes to gender. Uh, we then have a whole series of programming to encourage discussions on the platform about the inequality that exists in society and certainly in the workforce around race and ethnicity. And then when it comes to LGBT+, as you referenced before, we actually have a brilliant program running this year called Out365, which is in recognition of the fact that companies traditionally uh, do a host of activities around pride during the month of pride. There's often you know, rainbow flags hanging from the windows of organizations around the world. And we wanted to call out that actually support of the LGBT plus community is not a month-long exercise. It should take place 365 days a year, every year. And you need to commit to having employee resource groups around the LGBT plus community to ensuring that your suppliers are friendly towards the LGBT plus community. There is a host of activities that we do internally and that we're trying to encourage our customers as well to do around the world to embrace inclusivity, diversity, inclusion, and belonging. And we often talk about diversity, but I would argue that belonging is even more important. Our brains are hardwired to belong. There's a whole load of research that shows it's the same neural networks that look after your primary needs as your social needs. And a sense of belonging, a sense of community is a, even a more powerful motivator than money. Have you always felt like you belonged? As a, as, a, as a gay man in business, have you felt like you belong there? Oh, no, absolutely, absolutely not. You know, I grew up in sort of the 80s and 90s Thatcher era of Section 28 in the UK, which prohibited the reference of homosexuality in schools. And when I grew up, there were no LGBT plus role models in business. They just didn't exist. I mean, the newspapers at the time were trying to out celebrities and politicians and business leaders and most of the headlines that I saw at the time were either negative or referenced HIV and AIDS as the gay plague and so when you're brought up in that environment you certainly don't feel a sense of belonging and when I I finally came out at the age of 22 to family and friends but like about 70% of recent graduates, I went back into the closet at work because I felt that at the time, you know, I dropped out of university, I was gay, and I felt like these would be problematic in the workplace. And it was pretty amazing because a couple of years later, you know, I changed jobs and I came out in the workplace and I suddenly experienced 
all of these benefits that I hadn't previously anticipated. I built more confidence. I built more trusting relationships with colleagues, with clients. I think I became a more empathetic leader. It's certainly for others to judge, but that was my sense. And most importantly, it just made work a hell of a lot more fun. And I am therefore a great believer in, you know, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And we need more openly you know, out LGBT plus role models in business. And frankly, it's not just about the LGBT community. There was a, some data that came out of it that show it showed less than 3% of FTSE 250 CEOs are black. And I believe less than 4% are women. So we've, there's a lot of, we all recognize that diversity is good for business. There's a lot of progress that still needs to take place. You said something I thought was extraordinary there. You said 70% of recent graduates who are from the LGBT plus community, I, I, I guess, hide that from their employers now in this day and age? Yeah. That, why? Certainly, things are improving, but you need to keep in mind that we also live in a country where there's... Uh, great legislation, or mostly great legislation, around gender and sexuality. Whereas it's still illegal to be gay in 63 plus countries around the world. There's a, just under 10 that still have the death penalty. And there are communities around the world that still greatly oppress the LGBT plus community. And therefore, it's pretty understandable that even if you may be out to your friends and family, you may be a little hesitant to come out in the workplace. I think that's, a, I just think that's absolutely incredible for, for, for a modern age to be in that position. And I guess that's probably why it's so important for you that LinkedIn represents diversity, not, but not just represents diversity within the company, but pushes it and promotes it across the entire community then. Indeed, and increasingly it's becoming important for individuals when they're choosing their employer We've seen unprecedented change in the labour market over the last few years, notably as a result of the, the pandemic. And what is important for younger generations when they're looking for jobs today has changed. Certainly, financial stability is really important, but increasingly people are thinking about hybrid and flexibility. They're thinking about diversity, inclusion and belonging. They're thinking about a company's contribution when it comes to and commitment to environmental sustainability. Increasingly, people are wanting to work for companies at this intersection of those that are doing well and doing good. And so I do believe that in the same way, flexible work, hybrid work is a survival issue for many companies, diversity, inclusion and belonging over the next decade will be as well. Let's take a break now. You can follow The Evening Standard on LinkedIn, where you'll find front pages, articles, job vacancies, and other editions of this very podcast. You can also hit the subscribe button on your podcast provider and never miss an episode of How to Be a CEO. Why not do it now? Back in a sec. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. So I wanted to talk to you about flexible work and hybrid working and, and people working from home now. During that pandemic period when lockdown came, did you find the LinkedIn users were starting to use your site differently? They were starting to use the site differently, but I would argue that most importantly, they were thinking differently as well. So if you turn the clock back about 18 months to circa March 2021, the world started opening up again and we saw an incredible shift in the labour market, a record number of people changing jobs. And people referred to this at the time as the great resignation. For us, it was the great reshuffle. It was people rethinking not just where they work, but why they work and how they work. And today, 18 months later, the economy or the labour market is starting to soften a little. In fact, as of August this year, the share of LinkedIn members changing jobs globally was flat year over year for the first time since March 21. But it's fair to say that there is no going back to the world of work pre-pandemic. If you take to your question before, remote jobs, for example, pre-pandemic, remote jobs in the UK were barely 1%. Uh, today, they're around 10% of jobs, but they're receiving 20% of applicants. And then similarly, if you look sort of pre-pandemic at things like the percent of jobs that didn't require a formal degree, something that's pretty close to my heart, that was 15% pre-pandemic, and it's 20% now. I think these are positive signs that businesses are open to considering a wider and more diverse set of talent. Ah, so you're, you're like me then, Josh, you don't have that university degree. To, to, to <laughs> no, I, I have a year and a quarter of it, but I'm not sure that really counts. <laughs> is it, you know, you're talking about the, the number of people applying for remote jobs then. So is there an opportunity for companies who I guess in some ways are brave enough to offer remote positions to, to really scoop up a lot of talent? Yes, and I don't think it's necessarily bravery. I think it's a perceived bravery. And the reason I say that is there's this concept of productivity paranoia. Microsoft did a survey recently. It was fascinating. It showed that 80% of employees feel that they are equally productive in a hybrid or remote environment. 80% of managers do not believe those employees are equally productive. So there is this productivity paranoia that is set in that I think we need to quickly address. And our philosophy at LinkedIn has been that we 
trust people to do their work where it makes sense for them and it makes sense for the business. And increasingly, when people apply for roles at LinkedIn, and this never used to happen, the first question that they are asking us is, can you talk to me about your hybrid work policy? I genuinely believe that this is going to be a survival issue for many businesses over the next decade. If you do not offer either remote work or hybrid flexible work, it will become increasingly difficult to attract great talent. And for highly skilled folks today, they have a wealth of opportunity around them to choose from. And if you want the best people, you need to provide them with flexibility. Yeah, I read a stat once before hybrid working became a thing before lockdown happened, where when people go into the office for eight hours a day, they only really work about five. They spend three hours of the day not working. And I wonder if the, the there's maybe not a realisation that we haven't always worked those eight hours. My producer's listening in on this, and of course I expect her to work constantly throughout the day. But I think we need to, I personally think that we need to realise that people have never worked a full eight hour day. And it's it's kind of okay to watch 10 minutes of this morning to take a break from the computer, <laughs> isn't it? I, can, can you say that, Josh? Would you, would you encourage your staff to do that? Look, I have to say, like, I was somebody that used to go into the work. I travel a lot for work, but I used to go in, if I was in London, I would go in five days a week without exception. I'm starting to travel again a lot for work now, but I go in maybe one or two days a week. And for me, there's been a whole suite of benefits. I'm healthier because I'm exercising more frequently. I, you, I'm probably actually working slightly longer hours, if I'm honest, because to your point of the five versus the eight when you go into work. And then when I go into work, it is for very specific purposes. It's to reconnect. It's for collaborative exercises, for brainstorming exercises. It's a very specific purpose. If I'm just going to sit on calls all day, often with different people around the world, there's not a huge advantage of me making the journey into work and coming back again. Yeah. Do you know something else that people, when they look at LinkedIn job ads, and this is like, this is like a big controversy, it's, it's about people not posting the salary of a position. This is something that comes up time and, and, and time again. From what you can see, does it make a difference if a company says this job was going to be valued at this amount of money for at least the number of applicants coming in? Have you ever looked at that as, as LinkedIn? So I haven't seen a specific data set that shows whether more people are applying for roles when there's visibility on the salary. I do believe that over time, transparency is going to become more important you know there's actually already certain countries around the world where you can log into a database and see what anybody in the country is earning i think it's in one of the it, it could be in norway if i'm not mistaken it may be sweden so apologies it's to, always norway uh, or sweden it's <laughs> apologies if i've got that one wrong but it's certainly one of the nordic countries but i do believe that transparency over time is going to become increasingly important i think for for companies to offer a transparency, I think for leaders to be transparent, especially in the current climate, actually, where we're experiencing such degrees of uncertainty, you know, transparency builds trust and trust is consistency over time. So if you're transparent consistently over time, that allows you to build trust with your employee base. And trust is one of the core foundations to having a successful business. What's next for LinkedIn? What, what's the next plan, uh, particularly within the UK, what kind of areas are you looking at? Are there any trends that you're, you're looking to seize upon? What, what, what can we see? What's the next evolution 
of this company? So there's a couple of ways that I would think about that. One of the sort of trends that we are experiencing with our customers around the world and including in the UK and that we are subsequently advocating for through our LinkedIn is this embrace of skills-based hiring. I think skills-based hiring has become a few years ago, I would argue it was a buzzword. Today, it's fundamental. And we are very conscious that even though in the current climate, you may not be changing jobs, your job is changing. And be it through COVID, digital transformation, the fourth industrial revolution, new roles are being displaced and created at an unheard of pace. Skill sets of jobs have changed by 25% since 2015, and then they, we expect they will double again by 2027. And therefore, what we've noticed is that a lot of companies are starting to hire based on skills and potential versus just experience and education. And in a world where people are starting to change jobs slightly less because of the economic conditions, ensuring that companies are reskilling and upskilling their existing workforce to prepare for the jobs of tomorrow versus the jobs of yesterday is really important. So skills-based hiring, one of the trends that we're seeing, and we have a suite of tools to help companies do that more, more effectively. And I would say on top of that, as I mentioned, diversity, inclusion, and belonging are increasingly important, and we're constantly releasing tools, notably the tools that we provide to recruiters to help hire people, to ensure that they're building balanced slates, that they're removing unconscious bias, so that when you list people in our database who may be eligible or suitable for a specific role, potentially you don't see their name or you don't see their profile photo to try and eliminate some of the, the inherent biases that many people may, may hold. But for us, we're seeing record levels of engagement. We're seeing brilliant examples of people coming to the platform, again, not just to extract value, but to contribute value. And one of the Favorite parts of my job, I would say, is of course spending time with our customers, but really importantly, spending time with our members as well and hearing firsthand the stories that they have to tell about the value that they've generated from LinkedIn. There's two amazing people, I don't, you may have heard of them actually, they've got a fabulous podcast called the Squiggly Careers Podcast. Uh, there's names of Sarah Ellis and Helen Tupper, they've created a career consultancy called Amazing If. And they really built their brand on LinkedIn. They're going back to your comment earlier. They built their personal brand. They built their professional brand and they're a career consultancy. They use LinkedIn to help them hire great talent to generate new business. There was a, another wonderful example that I saw. There's a, and perhaps an example of the type of company you may not expect would flourish on LinkedIn. There was a lady called Scarlett Farhang. She unfortunately was made redundant during COVID and she started a business called Scarlet Bakes Cakes. And what was incredible is that she announced the launch of her new business on LinkedIn. That then led to a whole host of orders coming through our platform. But most importantly for me, there were people reaching out to her in the community to share best practice on running a small business and actually offering her free services such as helping her set up her marketing organization and providing some free branding advice as well. So there's a what we were increasingly seeing, coming back to your question about trends, is that there is a real 
variety now of different types of industries and businesses appearing on LinkedIn. With 850 million members, 33 million in the UK, you really have people from every walk of life. That must be fascinating being able to see that kind of overview of business, of industry. And I, I wonder if personally gratifying for you as well to see positive changes and positive trends coming through. Absolutely. I, our executive chairman, Jeff, always talked about the definition of happiness being looking forward to going into work in the morning and looking forward to coming home at night. And it's so simple and so powerful. And I feel, you know, I've been here 11 and a half years. It's the longest that I've stayed at any company in my life. Uh, I never thought I'd be here 11 and a half years later when I first applied for a job in a small startup of 800 people. But it has been incredibly gratifying. I have the opportunity to work with incredible people every day. I have seen the expansion from 90 million to 850 million members and incredible stories. And coming back to that notion of people wanting to work at this intersection of doing well and doing good, I feel frankly very privileged that I have the opportunity to, to do that and do something that I love doing at the same time. That was Josh Graff from LinkedIn. How to be a CEO is back first thing every Monday morning. Start your week with us. In between episodes, head to standard.co.uk forward slash business for the latest news, interviews and analysis. Or pick up the Evening Standard newspaper. I'll see you Monday. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.